Welcome. To Arcade Audio. Hey friends, Cass here. Just wanted to give you a disclaimer at the top. The audio on this one didn't turn out stellar, but it's such a great episode that we're obviously sharing it with you anyway. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Shared History. Double the history, double the fun. Oh, I want double history. Just a a double scoop. A two scoop for me. A two scoop for me and maybe a little Bazooka Joe comic strip surrounding that bubblegum. But that would be Bazooka Joe and not double bubble. So that's not the same thing, Natalie. It's not the same thing. And I mean, I went for ice cream because I don't care for bubblegum. So I went for ice cream because... That's fair. It's better. And and speaking of double the history and double the fun, Natalie, since you and I are the same person and one entity, mm-hmm. we have a guest on this episode. Oh, thank goodness, because I'm so sick of you. <laughs> Mo Phillips Spots, actor, improviser, small business owner of Momo's Book Club, which is a subscription book box, uh, books for kids. Mo's here with us today. Mo, hello. Hi. <laughs> Was that too? Was that coming at you with too much energy? No, I am just always awkward at introductions. So internet or in person, nothing has changed. <laughs> so here we are. I genuinely can't tell which is which is worse, like meet, doing internet introductions or in person. You think with that buffer of like everyone knows, like oh, there's glitches so maybe not responding right away because their computer's weird that like you could lean into that but no it's still awkward it's still yeah. awkward just like that moment yeah <laughs> just like the moment we just had <laughs> mm-hmm. i like i think i like the safety of uh being able to pretend i i see someone i know or get a text message and be able to like walk away in person <laughs> they are used to just being able to be like oh okay and then just <laughs> I have the I have that weird Midwestern Minnesota vibe of like if I hug you it means a conversation's over like oh that's so great all right come in for a hug and leave and I can't tell you how many times I've been burned by that where people don't pick that up as a cue so then I'm stuck and stuck. then I go in for it again and now I've hugged you five times and have still not left you hug at the end of a conversation yeah, so it's like, oh, so good to see you, but not like in a, you run into someone. Oh, great. So good to see you. All right, bye. Hug out of there. Oh, I don't do that. I just hug at the beginning and then we walk away at the end. Just silence, turn around. Just like, okay. <laughs> we just mutually abandon the conversation. No, Cass gets stuck in a hug loop and I have witnessed it a lot. It's so, unco- <laughs> it's so uncomfortable. Especially when it's someone I don't really know where I shouldn't have gone in for the hug to begin with. And now you've hugged them seven (laughs) times. Well, So yeah, maybe Zoom is better. (laughs) You guys haven't seen I've just been holding my computer. No, I'll just leave. It's great. I just leave. (laughs) And Mo is now no longer in the Zoom room. (laughs) This is going to be the easiest sign off ever. (laughs) Well, Mo, uh, you... Before you leave, before you abruptly abandon the Zoom room, <laughs> you've brought a story to tell us, right? But before we're go- before you get into your story, can we ask if you how you feel about history? Do you like history? What was like? Did you like history class? Are you what? What do you what are you into? Tell us about yourself. <laughs> so I feel like, uh, and what I picked has nothing to do with the kind of history that I have liked in the past. Um, I went through a really intense Elizabethan England phase when I was a kid. I okay, batch okay, let me let me put it backward. Uh the first one was ancient Egypt as a kid. Um obsessed to the point where like I took Arabic in college and the fact that I, I wanted to go to Egypt. Yeah, don't ask me to say anything because I don't remember any of it, but I took Arabic for a year and a half in college. Um Congratulations then, on taking an applicable language. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, like if you had stuck <laughs> with it, there there is a career track for that language. Yeah, but I chose theater, so here we are. Um, 
Yeah. Also a career. Yeah. Wait. Oh, never mind. I'm gonna. I'm there's gonna a, backpedal too. Yeah. We're, there's we're a, doing well. There's a career track. It's just. just it's a little derailed at the moment. Yeah. You know, like the unspeakable horrors of the original, like animatronics on Splash Mountain. That's the mm-hmm. career track that theater feels like. Mm-hmm. This is correct. It's a downward spiral um, until a huge old waterfall. Mm-hmm. Yep. With a yeah. lot of questionable, um, with a lot of questionable racism on the way. Theater. Yeah, that's factual. Um, that is exactly <laughs> what we've been dealing with uh, for a while. Uh, yeah. So I was really into ancient Egypt as a kid, and then I was also into Elizabethan England for a while. The idea of like a, a woman ruling without a husband for a while was really appealing to me. So, <laughs> but I didn't take a lot of history classes in general in high school. I took maybe like international history and then AP US history, which is where I learned about this story or this moment. But I did major in anthropology, which is not quite history, but like history through ethnographies um, and studying other cultures. So, I, I mean, I guess I like history. I don't know. <laughs> I guess. I feel like so many people, like when their kids are going through school, it's just like, oh, I was always really interested in this. And then either there's no course available for it, or you finally do find a course for it. And it's just really underwhelming of like, really? How did you fuck this up? How did you not make this exciting? It was meant to be archaeology. My school didn't have it. So I settled for anthropology, which the head of our department was an archaeologist. So I don't, I don't know what happened. But so. <laughs> he lost a bet. Yeah. So basically what you're saying is you're never going to be Evie from the mummy. Wow. You just really rubbed that one in. I cut to the core right there. That is really painful. Um, I'm going to go. Thank you for having me now. Um, (laughs) If there's one thing Mo and I share to our core, it's our deep, deep love for the mummy. I mean, the mummy was everyone's sexual. Everyone's sexuality is the mummy, or whatever that tweet says. The yeah, mu- I got that meme like six times the day that was around Facebook from like <laughs> different people. Didn't someone get you a the mummy T-shirt? Yes, for my birthday, uh, my friends from college got me like the original movie poster on a T-shirt. They printed it on a T-shirt, and it comes with a little a snippet of film, a film reel um, from the movie as well. They sent that <gasps> with the. Yeah, so that was really fun. Do you know what, what I love about this is is knowing this value makes it so easy to buy you gifts. <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt, I, get something about the mummy, Brendan Fraser. I mean, it's true. Um, my friend was saying that she wishes she had a thing that people like knew that she, if they bought her a gift that they would love it. And I was like, I don't have a thing. And I was like, you totally have a thing. <laughs> it's the mummy. It's, it's a fact. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. As or I Brendan think- Fraser. As, as I think we've already heavily established on this season of the podcast, especially, I have a thing. It's the Backstreet Boys. Uh, Cass, does Cass, I think you know that you have this thing. I have a few. You're drinking one right now, but Cass is a thing. <laughs> it's Bud Light. For Christmas last year, I bought Cass a Bud Light Christmas ornament. And that's only because I was going to get her something bigger and Bud Lightier, but Cass cries and gets mad at me whenever I give her gifts. So I went for the, the smallest, less expensive gift so that yeah. she would get less angry at me. I get really, really emotional very, very quickly. And just anything thoughtful, like the smallest thing, I'm like, this is so beautiful. How dare you do this to me? Even if it's Bud Light adjacent. It's Even very, it's very thoughtful Bud Light adjacent. I don't adjacent. think it's asinine as Bud Light. You know what? Because I used to be kind of a beer snob. And then I was like, I don't, I don't need to throw an, an IPA, an IPA in my body. I'm just going to hydrate with some water. I'm going to stick with Bud Light. I, I mean, I played rugby in college. So my first beer was like a crappy beer. So that's really what I prefer. So it was a Milwaukee's Best, I think. Hell yeah. Beast. Beast. <laughs> wow. Well, I wish that I had all of these beers, but I don't have them in front of me right now. But what I do have, Mo, is you and a beautiful story that you're about to tell us. Although I know that it's not beautiful because you all, you told me what your topic was. And yeah. so that was not a good setup for you. Tell us a story that is definitely not beautiful, Mo. <laughs> so this is, it's not beautiful. Uh, actually, it's pretty tragic, but... Um, Okay, so this is like the only thing my brain could like think of when I thought of history. Um, in 
high school, I took APO's history and we had a book club that my teacher put together to read books of things we didn't cover in the textbook because it was just impossible to go through. And so we read maybe a book a month or something, like once a month and like read these books. And one of the books we read, I think I actually finished, was a book about the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory um, fire. Oh God, you really, <laughs> the pause there really got me. The Triangle Shirtwaist the Factory fire. I did like one of those, oh, I haven't heard of this. And I'm like, oh, a lot of death and destruction. <laughs> Thank oh, you for that reveal. <laughs> a lot. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I was like, oh, this is what, oh no, it's not just the factory. It's this one day in their history. Yeah, and I went, oh, it's going to get real dark. That was just the most perfect pause ever. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, Great. So I just just start? Yeah, just dive in. Oh, man. I took notes. So let's see. Okay. So uh, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory made shirts for women. A shirtwaist, if you will. They're kind of popular in the early 1900s. Um, but becoming kind of less popular by the time this fire happened. There's a factory. The factory still stands. It's in Greenwich Village in Manhattan. Um, it's part of NYU's campus now. The building still exists, even though this fire happened um, over 100 years ago. Wow, it was a long time ago. So the Shirtwaist Factory fire uh, was on the 8th, 9th, and 10th floor of this building. And uh, on this day, on March 25th, there was a fire that broke out around 4.40 into the day. They're not sure what caused the fire. They think it was a cigarette in a trash can. The people who cut the shirts were kind of like thought they were hot shit. Um, And so they would like sneak cigarettes all the time. And like a cigarette apparently fell into a trash can and uh, that had about two months of like cloth scraps in it and kind of set the whole, (laughs) started the whole fire. There's a theory that it was also like an insurance scheme because the shirtwaist fires were like going out of, you know, mm-hmm. going out of fashion. Um, that's, that's because, so you, I, I'm vaguely familiar with the shirtwaist factory, uh, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. And also you told me what topic you were going to do. And I was like, <laughs> isn't that the one? They, the, the theory about it being an insurance scheme is because the business owners last two factories burnt to the ground and those were set by them right right okay yeah um what i saw was like it was like it's closer to four i think they've done this like a few oh like, shit like, yeah it was like a, <laughs> and i don't know if, it's, if that's like true there's a lot of like misinformation but like they're, they're like there's a series of fires um that there's happened a, there's a pattern there's reading, a pattern i'm reading <laughs> agatha christie right now so i'm just getting that like you murdered your wife no i loved her but all of your wives have died what that wasn't me though oh no (laughs) yes so this fire how do i go into it all right so uh it's 4 40 a fire started on the eighth floor the eighth floor manages to call the tenth floor but they can't reach the ninth floor so the eighth and tenth floor start to evacuate they so the dudes who ran this factory let me get their names real quick um Isaac and this is his last name. Hold on, let me take a pause. Yes, I'm just getting like Titanic vibes, but with fire. Like the eighth floor, and we had to let the tenth floor know, but now it's spilling into the other, and we're trapped and we're burning. Yeah, because uh, fire safety wasn't really a thing in 1911. This was March 25th, um, 1911. So they locked the doors of the factory so that people couldn't get out because they were afraid they were going to be stealing things. And uh, the foreman, the foreman, uh uh-huh, yep, they locked, so there's basically, the only way to get out was one staircase that was an internal staircase, um, but that door was locked, and then one elevator. They, like, four elevators, but only one was functioning during the day to let it out um, until the end of shift, right? But they locked the doors to keep people from stealing, so they say. And the foreman who had the key got out early. So... Um, you had about 500 people on these three floors making shirtwaists uh, when this fire started. Um, a lot of them were immigrants and uh, young girls. Uh, yeah, immigrant women. Is, to clarify for Cass, this is a straight up sweatshop. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. I figure if I hear the word factory in the 1800s, 1900s, I kn- but 1980, I know exactly what we're talking about. Okay. Just. But thank you like, for adding more tragedy to this. Just pa- just painting a picture. I'm sweating yeah. over here, so thanks. <laughs> it's a straight sweatshop. Um, yeah. So like five people were in the building on these three floors. So uh, floor eight uh, calls floor ten. They start to evacuate. Floor nine, it doesn't know what happens until the fire gets to their floor, right? So they have one narrow corridor to get everyone out, one elevator. You know, some people get, so the owners were there. The owners survived. Of course they do. Um, They get to the roof and with some other people, they get to another building. They're okay. Some people got out through the elevators. The two elevator operators kept running people up and down until they couldn't, like, couldn't work anymore. So, like, the fire bases started messing up the mechanisms, and they couldn't run it up and down. And then uh, it just gets worse. Um, How? (laughs) So the fire department made them build a fire escape, but it wasn't functional, meaning it was basically like a platform on the side of the building that wasn't built very well. So people uh, escaped to... The side of the building, it ended up collapsing, and those people tumbled to their death. Mm-hmm. The so fire department. I know you guys. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's this is like this is a weird thing that like I, it's like a horrible thing, and yet I've like read the most and heard podcasts on it. Like it's I don't I don't know why this whole thing just like is like morbidly fascinating to me, but like this is like the one thing that I like will read more about and hear more about over and over again, just because it doesn't make sense how it happened. Well, and it's um, one of those things where nowadays, like, you can't walk down a hallway without seeing 12, this is your fire exit route, and things that are just so, like, ingrained in us that, like, mm-hmm, really? Mm-hmm. Go have a little platform outside that 12,000 people are trying to get up, like, ugh. And also just being trapped in fire. I'm, like, wringing my hands and just, like, I'm making mm-hmm. the most faces right now, listeners. It's, <laughs> um, so it gets worse. Uh... <laughs> The fire department gets there. The ladder only goes to the seventh floor. So they can't get people out. They can't, like, help host down the building. So eventually people start jumping from the building. They literally are either burned to death inside the building or they're, they start to jump from the building. There's, like, a one person talks about how they saw a couple, like, kissing each other, like, goodbye and then jumping and just, like, oh hoping my God. they survived. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um it's gonna even worse people like describe the sound of, like bodies hitting the ground like that's yeah uh it was not great 146 people died in this fire the whole fire took 18 minutes wait wait, wait. so happened yeah like it it like ravished through the whole building in 18 minutes that's yeah that's what this thing said yeah it was that bad because they had so much everything um, is flammable Everything's flammable. There were so many like scraps, you know, everything was like tight and, you know, bound together. It just like. The only way this could have been worse and gone faster is if it were in a cotton factory, like in North and South. Which is why you don't smoke in the cotton factories. The BBC classic. I did watch that. Wasn't it good? It was good. (laughs) There was a scene though. There was a scene where the foreman or the factory owner found like a cigarette butt and he lost his yep. shit because fires and factories and flammable shit happen like this where people get locked yeah. in buildings and in 18 minutes poof well yeah. and and when you're when you're working in those close quarters and i'm assuming because early 1900s sweatshop no ventilation in in those situations there's fabric fibers and shit in the air so every not only is there just flammable materials everywhere, but also your the air is full of little tiny flammable fibers as well. There's fire yeah. everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fire um, on the sides of my face. It burns. No, it was a clue reference. You said you were reading Agatha Christie, <laughs> so I made an I made a oh clue my God. reference. Oh, that is was actually that really the, good. Now that I know the reference, is that the same thing? Clue and Agatha Christie? Not at all. One's a parody oh, of the other. <laughs> Uh, which came first though the movie or the board game the oh. board game the board game oh. came first okay i feel the like the movie I, is based on the board game i always 
know that and then don't know it and always have this discussion. And I'm going to forget well, no. it someone asks it again. Well, I'll no, be recorded, so you don't have to. Yep. You'll and... just keep this recording in your pocket and it'll so that the next time somebody asks you which came first, the board game, Clue, or the movie, you'll be like, hang on, let me check with the Natalie in my pocket. <laughs> and Mo has just left the Zoom room. Okay. I did. I did. Hey, Nat, uh, can I talk about Iowa for a minute? Honestly, I'm shocked you're even asking for permission this time. It's just that this podcast is sponsored by Raygun, and they're headquartered in Iowa. Yeah, but they're bigger than Iowa. They're the greatest store in the universe. Oh, really? Who called them that? Raygun did. Checks out. All I'm saying is don't limit Raygun's excellence to just Iowa. I mean, they've got brick and mortar stores in six cities and like an online empire. They're super important to the fabric of the entire universe. Their t-shirts are like the second most important element and they gain on oxygen like every day. That's true. Also, they are super modest. They are. It's truly awe-inspiring. Gosh, Raygun's just so great. Right? And this is an ad paid for by them. So go check them out at their stores across the Midwest or online at raygunsite.com. Use promo code SHERRYLATER to save on your next order. Uh, now, can I talk about Iowa? Oh, look, we're out of time. Yeah, so it's a, a little sweatshop. Folks who are working like, what, 12 hours a day? So like the silver lining, which if you can call it that, it's, I hate to say that, but like after this happened, like the city was like, okay, so this can't happen again. So it's <laughs> like, they're like, this should not happen. So they formed like a task force that actually went to factories and like made sure they were up to code, that they weren't locking people in, that they were, you know, they had fire. So they went to like 200 factories, like factories all in the same. They're like, they've realized a bunch of them were like, were close to being what happened to the Triangle uh, Wake Coast factory. So like they helped fix regulation factories, which is great. Um, they started the talk about immigrants or like labor laws where like you only have to work a certain number of days. They called it, the, there's a law called the 54 uh, hour week because they were working more than that in these factories. More than what? So that 54 hours a week. <laughs> They're off by, you know, a little bit. They like started to talk about those kind of regulations. So they took the, the owners to court. They were accused of manslaughter, one and two degree manslaughter for all the people who died factory, which is like 146 again. But somehow they got off. They- I was, I was about to say, I feel like they didn't get in trouble. Their, uh, their lawyer uh, managed to convince the jury that the, like, the woman and the people who were testifying because they said the same story over and over again with no variation that, they, that it was rehearsed and it was a lie. Instead of them being like, I just know my story really well because I was there. So uh, they weren't convicted, but they did have to pay money in a wrongful death suit, um, which was $75 a person. Wait, wait, um, hang on. I have to do the math of not $75. Well, $75 per how many people? hundred. Uh, uh-huh. Okay. In 1911. Now I have to convert it. This is like my favorite thing. I don't know why we don't just have like all of our conversion apps, whatever, up because Natalie, you know, at some point we're going to need to convert a money or a or a time or a distance or a or a conversion. Okay, hang on. Oh shit. Ten and dollars in that time, so that's already a lot. Mm -hmm. Ten thousand fifty dollars today. Three hundred thousand one hundred thirty-one dollars and forty-three cents. But here's the kicker. Oh no. The insurance claim paid them $60,000, which was roughly 400 per person who died in the factory. So they got to keep all of that difference. Wow. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Mo, <laughs> for brightening my day. <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, but it's 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 funny cuz my first thought was that any kind of factory tragedy, which I feel like all of them were, tends to push the conversation of, of labor laws, of work weeks, hours, wages, age. But I feel like this probably pushed the question also of fire code, of 
the physical well-being within the factory itself. Yeah, there was a lot to do with that, a lot to do with unions after this, like just a lot of like people, like the New Deal, um, this fire affected the New Deal in terms of like how they were structuring jobs and stuff. So it was, it had a big impact on everything going on at that time. Mo, do you remember the book that you read way back in a push for this or? I think so. I pulled it up because I was like, what book did I read? A push. I forgot they called it that. They did. Good old Mr. Winter. Shout out to Mr. Winter. Take a drink. Take a drink. And also maybe take a drink because I didn't name drop a teacher. Um, So I believe it was Triangle, the fire that changed America. It came out in like 2004, which is like, I'm old, around the time I would have read this. I think it was in hardback, so it had just come out when we read this book, so. Cool. I might actually, I've, so I've, I've heard of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire through other podcasts, because like you've mentioned, it's for some reason very fascinating to a lot of people. I think because it has that kind of like, potential corruption was it arson element to it i think that that's a lot of the reason why it comes up uh, a lot now so i will i'll check out that book love a good non-fic again like my first thought was like titanic it i think people are drawn to stories like these because it's just so needless so many deaths horrific deaths and like you can see like when as soon as you said factory fire i knew exactly what we were about to hear (laughs) just like floor 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 of like it's 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 a car crash and it's uh yeah no there's that that draw to it that we're still dealing with like like corporate greed so like that's still a thing we're dealing with like freaking jeff bezos asking for uh like a gofundme essentially to pay for his his uh, employees that had like COVID like in the beginning of the pandemic. Cool. So you're making these folks work and they're getting sick, but you're not going to pay for it. <laughs> cool. Like nothing's changed. Meanwhile, I have enough money to buy earth 12 billion times, but like, mm-hmm. could you help me out to pay for these people that I got sick? He wouldn't go to jail. He would get off and probably make money off of, you know, he didn't make money off this tragedy. So yep. <laughs> ah, parallels. <laughs> My my first question to you was, when you were wrapping up the story, was obviously laws were going to change because of this, labor laws. But honestly, the first thought was, I bet the first thing they did was look into insurance regulation and law so they're not going to lose out on money again before anyone's even worried about lives lost. I don't like, think they did. <laughs> well, so I don't know if they did, but I know that what I've read or heard before about part of part of the reason why things were able to escalate so quickly was as we mentioned the owners were just burning shit down after hours whenever they decided that they needed to move on from a factory <laughs> there's just a real scorched earth policy of moving in that in that department but to that effect because that was a trend with them the building did not have like a sprinkler system or anything because god forbid they try to burn their building down again to get the insurance money and the sprinklers go off and foil their plan so they just didn't have sprinklers in it on top of you know mostly locked doors one functioning elevator one operating elevator one door that opened inwards so that then it becomes just a cavalcade of bodies so they said like so the reason why they got taken to court was because the judge accused them of like, knowing that they're locking the doors at the factory. And I guess they're like, oh, we won't do it again when they got acquitted. But then Max later on was caught doing it again in another factory that he had, but he only got fined $20, which was the minimum you could be fined for that at that time. Oh, Natalie, what was that uh, That math on that uh, the lawsuit, the insurance payout? Okay, well, so you said it was $60,000. Yes. 1911. So $60,000 today is 1,650, sorry, 1,644,555 and 79 cents. And how much is $20? It's like, while we're at it, while I clearly have this up, $548 and 19 cents. God forbid. (laughs) My goodness. (laughs) 
Nap, quick confession. I can't stop thinking about your birthday cake from last year. Oh, the one from ECBG Cake Studio? Is that where that delicious custom cake was from? Yep, but ECBG does more than cake. They help everyone celebrate the moments that matter. They believe in equality and community and that ordinary moments should be celebrated too, not just extraordinary people's birthdays, wink. They even have online baking classes. Mm, They sound dreamy. You know, if you're still dreaming of that cake, you should check out at ECBG underscore studio on Instagram or their website, ecbgstudio.com. So Mo let it slip to me what her topic was, and I am also to do a topic today. So I messaged Cass and I said, I said, Cass, I know what most topic is. Should I do something similar, like in the same vein, in the same theme, or should I parry it with something to counter it? And Cass said, do something similar. Oh, Cass, we double down on the fires. I have been thinking about this whole episode. I was like, oh my God, I told Natalie to do something similar. And I don't know. I was thinking we would get like, last time someone did like uh, a person and Nat was like, oh, mine's similar. And it was, it was so uplifting and fun. And I was like, what if we could find a great parallel to this? But I didn't know it was going to be about the triangle waist shirt factory. Pause fire so i'd like to so i'm stating that for the record because i immediately when she said that i told cass uh well then reminder that uh you asked for this i'm going to double down on devastation and take us just a a couple years back a little less than a decade before this and also tell the story of a fire Oh my God, Natalie, I've been so stressed. I'm about to have a panic attack. As soon as you said fire, Mo, I was like, I don't think I can do this. My nails are raw. I have been chewing them. I've been just like pulling on my face. But yeah, let's hear it, Nat. Hold on, let me turn the AC up. It's warm in here. (laughs) Well, you know, I love talking about Chicago. And you know, Chicago really knows how to burn. There's one thing we sell at. I'm not talking about the Great Chicago Fire. Great Chicago Fire was in 1871. I'm staying closer to Moe's story. This is the story of the Iroquois Theater Fire. So about the Iroquois Theater, if you're like, Natalie, that's not a theater in Chicago anymore. Yes, it's the Iroquois Theater Fire. The building still stood (laughs) for a little bit after this fire. It was renamed a Colonial Theater, I think. But it, fucking colonizers. It's better. It's better. It's <laughs> but it there is a theater on the land that it used to be on. So it was between 24 and 28 West Randolph Street, which is where the Nederlander Theater is currently. Formerly known as the Ford Center of the Performing Arts, formerly known as the Oriental Theater, Chicago theaters be changing their names a lot. So I'm letting you know where I'm at geographically. This, oh, that was where Wicked was. Sorry. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. I should have led with that. I don't know why I didn't. See, it, now, Natalie, you and I uh, use Les Mis contextually for everything, and Mo Mo goes towards Wicked. So let's um let's use that as our as our frame of reference. All right. Great. This is a long time before Wicked. We're in 1903. A popular time. Yes. I just want to throw Wicked references in now. No, that's when Ragtime, was it, was that when Ragtime started? 19, oh, maybe 1901. Sorry, another musical. Everywhere. Everyone take just a Just start drink. throwing references and we'll try to call out which, which musical it's from. Great. We'll just throw musical theater references in to lighten things up a little bit. Lord knows we could use it on this episode. The Iroquois Theater opened November 23rd, 1903. It was designed to attract out-of-towners, particularly women on day trips to the city because it's located in the Loop, which was heavily policed. And God forbid anyone coming in for a day trip leave the Loop shopping district. It uh, was designed in the Renaissance style, and it was lauded as the most beautiful theater in Chicago and said in... A news in a magazine similar in to like Variety or Vanity Fair that quote few theaters in America could rival its architectural perfections. Its capacity was sixteen hundred and two, 
It had three audience levels, your orchestra, your balcony, and your gallery, and only one entrance. And oh my God, all the talk of musical theater. I forgot this was about a fire. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's only one staircase. Well, so yes. 1,602 people in this theater? Please tell me it was a matinee. It was a matinee. It was oh, it, the capa- the seated capacity was 1,602. It had a grand stairwell that led from the foyer on the orchestra level up to the balcony level. And on the balcony level was where the stairs were up to the gallery. The idea being that no matter where your seats were, you could see and be seen out at the theater, having a day at the theater, because you all had to take the same grand staircase. Or we can all see everyone equally burned to death. Yep. If you quit. God. If you cringed as I described that the stairs, since I already told you this is a story has to do with a fire, your reaction is valid. So on December 30th, 1980, uh, December 30th, 1903, just over a month after opening, during a matinee performance, a full house. Stop. Stop. It gets worse. More than a full seated house, standing room is a thing. Mm. There were between 2,100 and 2,200 patrons in the theater. Yep. It's a matinee. What was the show? Mr. Bluebeard. Not (laughs) worth it. What is that? You know what? It's like a, it's a vaudevillian something I don't know it's a 1903 if I'm front row with Adina Menzel's Alphaba or I'm watching OG Hamilton cast and yeah that's worth it I'll go down in those flames but the blue beard that's Mr. Bluebeard to you how do you not know that that wasn't their wicked you know their Hamilton it's vaudeville I don't know it might have been I mean apparently drew big crowds drew big crowds Reminder, it's a matinee, so that crowd is mostly women and children. <gasps> oh, God. Literally, you didn't need to say that part. It makes Cass, it- you asked for this. I did. <laughs> this is my doing. Just keep reminding Cass that she asked for this. Uh, so they're in the middle of the matinee. I think they're entering, like, the third act or something. Who knows? I should know because it was in my research, but I didn't write that down. A spotlight operator is the first one who notices that the calcium, one of the calcium lights sparked a fire backstage. Couple of problems, okay? Just a few. Just a few. Just a few problems. What's a calcium light? It's just what their lights were made out of. Like, it just, it basically, a light short-circuited and an arc from that light ignited. They think that it ignited the muslin... So more just catching fabric on fire, like a muslin backdrop. And mm. I hate this. I hate this, you guys. I hate this. And like, <laughs> I hate lights, fire. Theater lights back then were even more like dangerous than they are now. Like they're fragile and, you know. It's yeah. like filaments in it. Mm-hmm. Someone just opened flame. We had been you know, were. casual. Uh, <laughs> Don't even have a bulb. It's fire. It's just fire. It's well, so- just fire. The the way the way that theaters were built is because there was so much heat and flame basically on stage. The theaters were supposed to be built, in a, or they were built in a way that there were vents on the roof, and it, they were supposed to be built and so that there was like a draft shaft up from kind of the backstage area, so that that would all go up and out. But one you know fun thing about this it instance is that those vents were closed so that didn't happen the this there's a couple of things going on allegedly the stage hands most of the stage had, hands had already left the building and like went out for a drink during the show which doesn't make sense to me only one of my sources said that i think history.com said that and i was like that you can't leave the show during the show if you're a stage hand that's when part of your job is happening. That's when most of your job is happening. Yeah. That's all of your job. Is well, happening. aside from presets, that's when all of your job is happening. Preset and post show. And then show. you were handing on the stage. This, what, the 
the stage manager or the assistant stage manager wasn't backstage. They had gone out front to watch the show at the patrons. And if you've been, you know, they wanted to see the show. Okay. I mean, I get that. It's Mr. Bluebeard. It's Mr. Bluebeard. Starring Eddie Foy, star comedian. Oh my God, Eddie Foy? Yeah, the Eddie Foy. Oh my God. I I wonder if he's related to Claire Foy. Probably. Probably not. (laughs) So if you've been backstage in a theater, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of wooden stage props, uh, canvas scenery flats muslin curtains, etc. Oily rags. Oily rags was listed in one of my sources, and I, for the life of me, don't know why there were oily rags backstage. (laughs) But Uh, because, you know, there's probably, they were probably sitting right next to the tanks of gasoline, because of course, why wouldn't there be? Of course. I don't know. To me, for the flies, but that doesn't make any sense. Maybe. Probably, maybe like greasing. um... I mean, it's 1903. There could be grease paint for a variety of yeah. problematic reasons or if they have any like set oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> i made it worse for mo <laughs> well, it's a vaudeville show so it could very well <laughs> let's say it have blackface so there it is <laughs> you guys yep. i'm i'm googling uh mr bluebeard right now and um i'm really i don't even want to hit search right now but i'm gonna well, you tap in and tell us about Mr. Bluebeard when you get a chance. I'm going to keep going with this very uplifting story. <laughs> so the actors start to notice the fire and they kind of scatter backstage. Uh, Eddie Foy, to his credit, he's actually later kind of lauded a hero for this, keeps his head for the most part, tries to calm the audience. Imagine like standing on stage and basically telling the orchestra to keep playing. Very Titanic vibes for you, Cass. And telling it's the audience, been a privilege. Well, and telling the audience, like, calm down because you like don't trample each other. Basically, like, calm yeah. down, slowly exit. Well, it'll be fine. Meanwhile, like scenery, like burning scenery, is like falling all around him. That's that's the dog meme of the fire. Ever this is fine. This is fine. Everything's fine. So he's trying to calm the audience, and and because an asbestos curtain would be lowered and that should confine the fire. Like that's a fire curtain in in theaters. Oh, I thought you meant a curtain made out of asbestos. No, but it's filled with asbestos because it's fire retardant. So it's supposed to stop, oh. it's supposed to con- contain the fire. I don't know why so I that thought it... that that would be fire full. I don't know what asbestos is. I don't makes it really sick. You, I once, because we, to put a little bit of uplift in here and because we're on the topic of asbestos and musical theater, a friend of mine once told me about a production of Sweet Charity that they were in and they had asbestos lined pockets for the rich man's fugue because they would have to put their cigarettes out in the middle of the dance. And so it was part of the choreography that they would like drop it in their pocket and like just tap their pocket and thus extinguish it. And I was like, that can't be safe. But fun uh-uh. fun theater trick to line your pockets with asbestos, I guess. Why they just pretend to smoke a cigarette? I don't... Because I don't it won't be kidding. authentic to the... This- to the story or the characters, Mo. This is why I stopped doing theater. <laughs> so just like the, there's vents above backstage to kind of act as a chimney for all the heat and fire happening on stage in general and in case of emergency, that's the asbestos curtain is supposed to do the same thing. It's basically containing the fire to the stage section and then it can vent out the, the roof. But the curtain got stuck and wouldn't come fully down. Yep. So it was later discovered that it was blocked by a light reflector, which stuck out under the proscenium arch. Panic ensues. All the lights in the theater went out, which honestly, I was like terrified and anxious reading this story. And then that happened. I was like, great. Now you turn off all the lights. Cool. Nothing bad's going to happen. Similar to Mo's story, 27 of the theater's 30 doors were locked for the performance. What is it? What? Locked doors. The ushers, who are teenagers, no! flee. They, they like, they, they're by the doors, so when things start getting crazy, they run out. They neglect to open the locked emergency exit doors. At the few doors that were open, there was a stampede. When the back door was open, backdraft. Oh, God. A back door was open in the theater, like, backstage. A, the fire then 
roars to the backstage oh, area. Shit. Yep. We have uh, Mo Phillips spots on the Foley sounds. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Station 19. <laughs> it's very believable backdraft sound effects. I can tell that your studies are, are paying off. Also similar to Mo's story, the few doors that were forced open were four feet above the sidewalk. So they just couldn't get the, cause they were, I think they were incomplete fire exits or, or fire escapes. Four so feet, you couldn't have added four more feet. Hey, Nat here real quick to talk about my love of Chicago, specifically the love of Chicago history and architecture, a love which I share with one of our sponsors, Wonder City Studio. Wonder City creates artwork that honors the architecture and history of places worth preserving with a special love for Chicago. You can find and order some of their amazing work from classic home illustrations to badass ceramics at wondercitystudio.com. Use promo code SHAREDCAPE, that's SHARED, C-A-P-E, for 10% off your next order. So that slows exit even more. Again, some people some people jump, some people get pushed because there's a bunch of other people coming out behind them. And re plus, remember that one staircase? Yeah. People exiting the gallery encountered the crowd leaving the balcony and then descending from the balcony and the gallery, they would then meet a crowd at the orchestra level in the foyer. That is if they had made it out of the gallery at all. More on that in a bit. So back to the whole Titanic thing. Remember the whole staircase that Leo's hanging out on? Not even that. I'll just jump to, I was gonna talk about this later, but let's talk about it now. Uh, the Iron Gates meant to keep folks from sneaking down into better, more expensive seats were still closed. So there's some more Titanic vibes for you, Cass. When you started bringing up Titanic during Mo's story, I started losing my mind because I knew this was in mine. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Just give us a chance. Open the gates. Give us a chance to live. So, super fun times. There had been there had been questions raised about the fireproofing of the building at the outset, despite the fact that Chicago's building commissioner and fire inspector, George Williams and Ed Laughlin, respectively, had declared that the building was, quote, fireproof beyond all doubt before it opened. Who was the guy in Titanic? Unsinkable. This ship could never sink. God, him, you know who it is? Billy Zane. God himself couldn't sink this ship. Fucking Billy and Zane. Billy Zane showed up. He was Mr. Bluebeard. You guys. The whole time. I found Bluebeard synopsis. And if y'all get to tell tragedies, I want to make us all sad too. Do you want so, to tell Well, so the, the story of Mr. Bluebeard is a French tale. And in the st in many stage productions, it says <sighs> that it was, quote, orientalized. <laughs> so they would make it set in the Ottoman Empire. So no blackface, I'm assuming, but probably a lot of yellow face. Yellow face, yeah. Not good. Well <laughs> Either way, we're going to appropriate someone. Um, and here's the plot. Bluebeard was a wealthy and powerful nobleman who had been married several times to very beautiful women, all of whom mysteriously vanished. Wow, this so, is your Agatha Christie book. It is. Mm -hmm. Everything connects. So he wants to marry this one girl. She's freaked out. She's like, I don't know, fuck that. All of your wives are gone. And then he invites her to the chateau and she immediately discovers the room is flooded with blood and the murdered corpses of Bluebeard's former wives hanging on hooks from the walls. What? Why are oh, children is, at the show? This is like the, the story of Bluebeard. Of Bluebeard. Oh yeah. yeah, this is, yeah, okay, okay. This is actually, okay. You've heard the story? Yeah, Heard of um, mm -hmm. there is uh, like a, a book of, I think it's in the original Grim Fairy Tales. Yeah, it's it's kind of written here as like a, it's a fairy tale and it originates from France. There's yeah. been a lot of variations and then there's been versions and reworkings in literature and then in theater 
It says, pantomime versions of the tale were staged at the Theatre Royale, Drury Lane in London. Yeah. Yeah, and it's in the the OG Hans Christian, like, fairy tale book. They're all horrible. But that's one where he, like, takes the young wife. He goes, you can hang out here all day. Don't open that closet. And she's like, okay. And when she does, and she's like, oh, my God. All these dead women are in this closet. <laughs> Great. I'm and baffled. That's the, that's the show we need to pack full of women and children in the theater. Yeah, I'm baffled. So, okay, well, hold on. I'm going to, it's a musical. So it's, it is described in the story of the Iroquois theater fire as a burlesque of the traditional bluebird folktale. Also, it's, Eddie Foy is a comedian he's like a physical comedian that's what he's known for he was playing sister Anne, so i guess maybe he was oh that's comedy the... because he was playing a woman Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> i get it it's so get funny it. so back to uh, a different kind of tragedy uh not the tragedy of that being made into a musical that a bunch of children were seeing a matinee of many things you know wrong with the building i'll just rattle some of them off inadequate provision of exits absence of sprinklers absence of alarms absence of like a fire telephone or water connections notably somebody who walked through the building with the chicago fire department pointed these things out they were like well we could like tell the owners of the theater but they won't do anything about it anyway so they just didn't say anything we could add more boats to the Titanic, but it would ruin the aesthetic appeal. Lots of lots of Titanic parallels happening. There are six kill fire style fire extinguishers, the content of which, so the way that these fire extinguishers work is they're like a tin can or something, a canister, and you're, you're supposed to force, quote, forcibly hurl the contents of them at the base of the flames. But the, It's a water bomb. Kind of. But it's water but, balloon. But it's filled with like, you know, like sodium bicarbonate or whatever is in uh, fire, fire, fire extinguishers. Thank you. I, I just said the word and then I couldn't remember the word. But the fire in the Iroquois theater started high above the stage. So when the contents were thrown at it, it just fell to the ground uselessly. Also, the only other really on-site firefighting equipment was the, the asbestos curtain that wouldn't come down and was later inspected by a chemist and revealed to be made mostly of wood pulp, which you might know more, more by its street name, paper. Oh, now, God. Natalie, remind me. Is paper flammable? I think so. I mean, no. this is not shared. This is not shared science. So... <laughs> Too soon to say. Some other fun design flaws while we're at it. There were doors there were doors hidden behind draperies that people couldn't see. There were doors the doors, a lot of them had bascule locks, which are pretty to look at when they're fancy. Uh, think about think the lock on the side of in the back of like a semi-trailer truck, like the the that one. Uh, but a lot of people in the theater these were unfamiliar locks to them because they're they not weren't very all driving locks. semis no turns out they weren't the children and women of 1903 were not driving a lot of semis and then in a panic trying to open that <laughs> yeah. just kidding so there were some doors with windows that were actually only windows plus the iron gates mentioned before all these fun things some popular escape routes during all of this for the actors the coal hatch the windows in the dressing room and the, uh, the west stage door, which again opened inwards. By chance, a passing railroad agent saw the crowds pressing against the door to the backstage area and unfastened the hinges from the outside because he's a railroad man and he carries tools with him. And so that's how most of the actors and stagehands got out. So of those who died, only five of them were performers. Live to, to tell us. the tale. I know. <laughs> Oh, but wait, because I'm going to tell you how many people died. Oh, no. Strap oh, in. No. I want to put into context a little reference here. The Chicago fire killed about 300 people. The Great Chicago Fire. Stop it. We've all heard of. Mm, this number's going to be big. 591 to 602, depending on the source that I read. Most of them seated in the balconies. Uh. 
Because there were no fire escapes or ladders to help them down, some jumped, some were knocked down by falling bodies and eventually pulled out alive from under victims. Oh, God. It is estimated that around 575 died the day of the fire, though the newspaper headline, which I will share, there's uh, there was a great, and by great, I mean I had a real hard time reading the actual news story. There, The newspaper headline says 571 bodies, but they estimate 575 the day of. The rest, the rest from casualties later, dying of their injuries later on. And because Mo did such a great job of telling us the justice that was enacted. No, right, well, can we just, we're done. Story's done, right? Oh, Mo's at the Zoom room. It all ended up okay. There no, were I'm still here. The better shit. I'm still, I'm still here. No, we have to hear about the failure of justice. The building commissioner, one of the ones who said that it was absolutely fireproof, George Williams, was charged and convicted of misfeasance. I don't don't really understand what that is. I'm not a lawyer. This is not shared law. The mayor, the mayor at the time was Carter Harrison Jr. He was in his fourth term for those keeping track at home. And I don't know, Chicago mayor bingo. The mayor was (laughs) indicted. They tried to indict the mayor because Chicago. Oh, I I know what misfeasance is. Oh, (laughs) okay. I was worried it was a technical foul. No, no. Basically means that he's a public figure who didn't do his job. Oh, okay. A lot of misfeasance. I, I am familiar with that one then. We just misfeasance in left and right. That's yeah. my new that's my new drag name is misfeasance. <gasps> oh, I love it. I start in like a zoot suit and I'm like a corrupt 1920s Chicago politician. And then you just leave the stage because you didn't do your job. <laughs> yes. But when I leave, I set the fire, I set the stage on fire. <laughs> So they, they try to indict the mayor because Chicago, and those charges didn't stick because Chicago. The The theater owners, who are Harry J. Powers and Will J. Davis, were sued individually for 575 counts of manslaughter, and they were convicted of manslaughter, but that was later appealed and reversed a couple years later. They kept going at it in the courts until they got it appealed. After years in the courts... No one connected to the theater was held liable in civil or criminal action and no fines were paid. So this is, at least by 1911, they were charging fines. The only person to serve any jail time was a nearby saloon owner who had robbed the bodies while his establishment served as a makeshift morgue following the fire. Stop it. Because the morgues were overrun. So, (laughs) I mean... That's not a nice thing to do, but you're going to jail the pickpocket and not the one who burned down the fucking building. You're going after the small business owner and not the people who like were the issue. Okay. He probably has to rob dead people because he can't afford to keep his business open because of all the misfeasance. And probably because of all of like the protection fees he has to pay to like mobs and mafias. The, uh, Similar also to Mo's story, although I would like to point out that this is 1903 and they clearly have not figured some of these things out by 1911 when the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire is. But so this is December 30th. So by the next night in New York City on New Year's Eve, theaters eliminated standing room, but not permanently, just like that. Just until everyone forgot about this. Yeah. And then the show went to Broadway after this great it like in january it opened on broadway and it ran until may <laughs> was eddie foy in it i don't know was he still Let me make in sure. it? because I, he was actually like he kind of came out a hero because people were impressed at how he like took charge and made the orchestra keep playing but i guess a hero oh wait no i got that wrong okay it was in New York first, and then it went to Chicago. Okay, nineteen oh three. Yes. So this is not a pre-Broadway trial. This is a this is post-Broadway like a... tour. Natalie, it's there like was no old. trial. <laughs> this is true. No one went to jail. There was plenty of trials, just nobody okay. went to jail. Yeah, that's true. I misfeased. Um, I'm sorry. You you misfeased all over the place. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> Uh, And then, you know, more building and fire code reform. Theater exits to be clearly marked, doors to be configured to push open, who'd have thunk it, from the inside. And uh, widespread implementation of the the panic bar, 
which I think is like that bar on the inside of a door that you push and it'll open, I guess, which was had already been invented. There was a disaster at the Victoria Hall in it's called the Victoria Hall disaster in the UK. There's no fire involved in that, but don't look it up. There's a lot of dead children involved in that. <sighs> children trampling children. Spoiler alert. Um, and a change in the r- rules re- regarding the asbestos, the fire curtain or sheet metal screen. The, it is required that it is raised before each performance and lowered afterwards. So if you've ever been in a theater and they do like a curtain check, that's basically what it is. Of like, let's yeah. make sure the curtain can safely open and close without hitting a light fixture. And a lot okay. of times they'll lower that too at the end of the night just to, like, to prove that it's there and working. And yeah. make sure that there's no wood pulp in there. Also, yes. Yeah, also a big yes. Yeah, so so now, now in theater they always open it before for the performance and lower it after the performance because that way the audience section even when there's no one in it is separated from the stage so that if because the most likely place for a fire to break out in a theater is the stage is backstage so that way if a fire breaks out when there isn't a show it doesn't ravage the entire theater just the stage portion so yeah there's you know a super fun story about the deadliest theater fire and deadliest single fire building so, sorry, single building fire in U- U.S. history. And if I'm not mistaken, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory is also a, like, most deadly fire. I think it's the biggest industrial fire. So metals, right. metals all around. No, wicked. Sorry, no, there's I haven't been able to throw wicked in there yet. I thought of making a no one mourns the wicked joke earlier on, but there was a lot of mourning happening after this. So I'm like, mm. but the wicked mm. people weren't mourned. The That's people true. who misfeased. The misfeasters. So uh, I'd like to remind our audience once again that Cass asked for this. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know. So this is your. This is your fiery, fiery, fiery history. Mo, thank you for, <laughs> thank you for the spark that you were the spark and I was the oily rag. <laughs> oh no. I was, I was the, the muslin curtain and you were the spark for this episode. And Cass was the body count because boy, does she look tense right now. She's not to- ready for it. <laughs> I need to go take a bath with some like candles lit and just candles. Really? Candles? Really? Do it. <laughs> Cass is like, I wish this episode had a panic bar because <laughs> I am pressing it. Remember when this started off with double the pleasure and double the fun, and, and you instead didn't do that? No, I gave we... you double the fire. You asked for double, and she delivered double. Yep. Double trouble. Double double trouble. Fire bubble. bubble. Fire and bubble. There it is. There it is. There it is. On that note, uh, Mo, tell our listeners where they can where where they can find you on the social media if you want them to find you on the social media. Oh, um, I yeah, Uh, I am uh, at Momo's the Peach. Um, so M O M O S A Peach. Uh, I'm from Georgia. Um, Also, can confirm. Momo's a peach. Momo's a Momo's peach. a peach. I'm also a peach on um, Instagram. That's where I post things. Or you can also follow Momo's Book Club at Momo's Book Club on Instagram. I like Instagram, so <laughs> Momo's Book Club recently made several uh, top subscription lists. On- uh, yeah, we're listed on Pop Sugar's um, like top twenty-five book clubs for kids uh, last month. That was pretty exciting. So yeah. Go check out Momo's Book Club. Go order a subscri- subscription box. This episode will be airing after Christmas and after like the winter holidays. But if you screwed up and didn't get like your niece or nephew or children, I suppose some people who listen to this podcast have children of their own. <laughs> if they scrooged up. Ah, if you scrooged up and you didn't, you didn't get someone a gift, Momo's Book Club would be a pretty dope gift i mean there's also birthdays too like i mean there are also birthdays. Yeah. <laughs> there are just so many reasons to give gifts 
so many uh, that are books so you know books are great gifts yeah and and it offers uh, a variety of just more diversity than most people are able to find in children's books that they go out and find yeah um our tagline is um our, we aim to make your child's library as diverse as the world so that's I what we're that. doing yeah my heart grew two sizes two fiery sizes <laughs> so get Yes. Yeah. I had bagel bites for dinner. <laughs> That's not uh, a lie. The, so yeah. So, so subscribe, subscribe the little ones in your life to Mobo's book club. And then for, I don't know, the nonfiction lover in your life, get them triangle, the fire that changed America or Chicago death trap, the Ch <laughs> the Iroquois theater fire. Very is that a book? Yes, it is. The Ooh. So uh, and it's got decent ratings. I think my sister maybe read it for school. I did not have to read it at DePaul. But that is all she wrote and all she burned. If you, at least we're not burning books this episode. Yeah, we've had a few episodes of book burnings and we just don't like it. Well, it turns out we don't like when you burn factories or theaters either. Just prevent forest fires and regular fires, friends. Practice fire safety in your home. Have a plan. Find your exits, you know? <laughs> find, find your exits, indeed. And also find us on Instagram and Twitter. That was smooth, right? We'll give you some fire content. At SharedPod on Instagram and Twitter. Cass feels icky after saying that. And I'll probably feel icky with a lot of names that I come up with for this episode. I want to name it just just in words, fire emoji, fire emoji, fire emoji. <laughs> that might be what I do. Your parentheses cast after this. Isn't there a play called No Exit? No. Yeah. Wow. I think it's by wow. Sarge. Anyway. I think wow. it's by Sarge. Yeah. Uh, is that what you said? Yeah. I think is I think it is. If you have any questions, corrections, or suggestions, maybe a suggestion of no more fires. Uh, you can email us at sharedhistorypodcast at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed a little bit of Chicago history, question mark, we do a series on our Patreon called Little Locals, where Cass and I tell the story of things that we kind of pass every day. So there's an episode on uh, General John Logan, who Logan Square is named after in Chicago, for example. But Cass's are about things in Iowa, and mine are about things in pretty much Chicago. Maybe I'll get to the surrounding suburbs. Maybe. But we can find low local history about where you live. So yeah. email us something you want to find out low locally about your local. Yes. And subscribe to our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash arcade audio to get access to those. We drop one about every month. So there's a steady stream of little local stories. But I think that's it for today. I'm so sorry for all of the stress and anxiety that Mo and I have called caused you today. Mo, thank you so much for joining us. Mo, thanks. <laughs> thanks for having me. I'm, I'm sorry I picked such a dark topic honestly i've been i've had the iroquois theater fire on my list of topics for a while and i didn't i'm like when am i going to do this story so i'm glad that i i'm yes. glad that it that the right opportunity came along and that opportunity was just a real fire filled episode i didn't know fire stressed me out so my heart is racing you guys i am miserable and i did not know this about myself so thank you for really? teaching me about me I could, I could go for another, but uh, you know, we don't have time. There's and oh, Mo has left the Zoom room. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, share, share you later. And now Mo has left the Zoom room. Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at arcadeaudio.net.